Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, we are continuing Summer in the Psalms. Pastor Derek asked me to, uh, to kind of finish us up uh, with this one uh, this week. Psalm 139 is where we're going to be here in just a moment. So you can go ahead and get turned there. Um, it has been a year so far, right? I mean, 2020 like feels like it's been a whole year. It's, it, we're, not, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're around in the corner, but we're not quite there yet, right? It's been a lot of news come out in 2020 to the point that somebody else says, we've got news, we've got an announcement. I almost wince and just steal myself for what's next. But, uh, well, uh, I got a different announcement. It's up on the screen there I'd like everybody to know about. And that's what we got going on now. <laughs> You guys, I can't keep a secret, and I'm real impatient. This has been tough. <laughs> and for those of you watching on Facebook, there's a picture of a sonogram of my gummy bear-shaped baby up there, and we can't wait. Um, we cannot wait. We just hit the first trimester. We're very, very excited, and thank you all so much. Uh, please keep praying for us. Um, there's going to be a lot of Rona babies running around this place here soon. Um, and in about 13 years, we're going to have a bunch of quarantineagers, so... <laughs> going to be awesome, but uh, we can't wait. We can't wait. Um, we're very, very excited, and uh, I couldn't wait to tell all of you guys. Um, in that vein, uh, because of that news, and I knew I was going to share that this morning, I picked Psalm 139 as the, as the psalm we were going to go through. Um, and so that's where we're, uh, we're going to be at. We'll get into that in just one second. Here's a, here's a question I want to ask you. What if I told you that right now on this screen here in a second, I was going to play every thought Every private thought and every private word that came out of your mouth and through your brain in the last week, and everybody was going to see it. Would that make you incredibly uncomfortable? Yeah, I saw, I heard, I saw a bunch of people just tense up at that. Oof, oof, oof. What is there in the last week that you've said or thought that, to be proud of? What is there in the last week that you've said or thought that you would be utterly ashamed of people saw? What if I said, come back tonight, and tonight we're going to play a two-hour reel of the inside of your brain from all of 2020. We're going to hit the highlights, all the best and worst moments, thoughts and actions you've had throughout this year, and we're going to play it for all your church family to see. Would you show up? You know, I'd skip town. <laughs> we've got a lot of thoughts in our head. We've got a lot of actions we've taken in private. We've got a lot of things going on that we wouldn't want anybody to know. Things that, that we wouldn't ever want out there. And then we come to a very inconvenient truth as followers of God and Christians. God knows. He doesn't just know. He knew before it happened. And through all of that, and the point of what we're looking at this morning is despite all the things you've ever thought or done or said or the darkest moment of your heart, the worst place you are ever, you've ever gone in your thoughts, the worst thing you've ever said to somebody, the worst thing you'll ever do or have done, before it happened, he knew about it, and he loved you anyway. He sent his son to die for you anyway. He shed his blood, and he gave his grace and mercy, and he loved you anyway, despite all of it. And that's what Psalm 39 gives us, and we're going we're gonna to dive in. Let's read, um, we're just going to, we're going to dive right in. I'm, we're going to read all the way through it, and then we're going to come back. And if you're a note taker, we're taking five points out of it this morning. Three truths about God that lead us to two truths about who we are with God. Um, and David conveniently breaks this up into five sections. It's where everything comes from. Psalm 139 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the proper noun for the grave, uh, in, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even, though, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably or fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. And then we hit verse 19 through 22. And all this has been very loving towards God and God loving towards us. And then here we hit a part that I've, I've heard this, this psalm preached out of a lot. And this is a part that people skip sometimes. But I think it's, obviously it's in the Bible, so it's important. We're going to look at why this part is here, but it very much doesn't feel like it fits with the rest of this chapter, because his very next words in 19 is said, God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Now that sounds like 2020. Um, uh, news right there. That's, yeah, that was a, a bit of a turn from where we went. And then he comes back in verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would bless this reading of your word. And God, I pray that you would bless us now as we look into it and, and go deeper into what you have to say to us. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you for this time of worship we've had this morning. God, we thank you for the wonderful news that has come out of an, uh, a year of, of some pretty bad news. But several families in this church are getting very, very good news as well. God, we praise you through all of it. Good news, bad news, indifferent news. You're still worthy of all honor, all glory, and all praise in every situation. So we lift it up to you now. We ask that you would just open our hearts and our eyes as we look in your word. Speak through me, God. Let me not say anything that would hinder your message from going forward. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Um, yeah, it's been, a, it's, been, it's been a year. Um, that's why I've really appreciated Pastor Derek taking us uh, in summer in the Psalms. It has been quite refreshing to, to go through the Psalms. These, the, the, and it's not all been good news. It, it doesn't have to be. Not all the Bible is going to praise us for how nice and wonderful we are. It's going to praise God for everything that he is. And that's where we find our refreshment. That if this world is tumultuous and if everything is going crazy and it's just throwing us wind and wave after wind and wave... God's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And because he doesn't change, we have a solid place to plant our feet. But what do we do? Sometimes we think, oh, that looks like a nice place to plant my feet, and we'll step off onto something else, 
and it falls out from under us. We've all seen the internet videos of people trying to stand on various pieces of furniture, or you've watched your kids try to do it, maybe even this week, it doesn't work. Something that doesn't have a, a solid stand, it doesn't work. So we're going to hit three truths here real quick about God that we pull from what David has written about him, and then we hit, and then we're going to see two responses. And one of them is out of that section where, where David kind of, he turns a little bit in 19 through 22. So the first bit, verses 1 through 6, tell us that God is all-knowing. That's, that's the first point. God is all-knowing. We knew that already. That's a, that's a basic, fundamental tenet of our faith, that God knows all. But do we, do we dive deeper into what that means? Do we know, do we live with that knowledge as part of who we are, that God knows everything? We like to act like he'll conveniently forget some things, don't we? Because we do. And we, we, like, to, we like to sometimes play, uh, put our own stuff on God, but he, he's different. He's set apart. And so in, verse, uh, in verses 1 through 6, I'll, I'll pull apart out here. The, the very first verse in verse 1 says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. Known, we know God knows because he's all-knowing. But that searched word is important. It's the difference between when somebody you live with comes home, you hear the door open. For me, when Bree comes home from work, I hear the door open, and I know the dogs are going to run in there to greet her. I know Bree's home. I don't even have to look up. I can continue doing what I'm doing. I'm like, hey, what's up? She's like, hey, how was your day? We all have that interaction, right? We, we know what that's like. You, if you've ever lived with somebody when you were a kid, you came home, your parents were like, hey, what's up? The difference is, it's the difference between knowing somebody's there versus looking to see who and how and what and what's going on. Because if you know somebody well enough, you can know that they're angry, upset, sad without them ever saying a word, don't you? We, we know the look on their face. We know the, the posture. We know the body language. We know everything about them, that if they look or talk a certain way, sometimes we can just hear it in their voice. That first verse says God not only knows us, but he searches us. He doesn't just know, he knows everything about you and me. He can, name, he can number every hair on our head right now in this moment. He can number all of our days. But beyond knowing everything, he's not just this distant God who knows things. Other religions have a distant God that they worship that know things. Here's the big difference, other than the fact that ours exists. He searches us. He wants to know us. He doesn't want to just have knowledge about us. He wants to know how our day went. He wants to know if we're okay. He wants communication and fellowship with us. That's what God wants from us, and in turn, that's, where, that's what we should want from him. And that's where communication comes in. But we, we find something deep about the nature of God right there in that first verse. Even though he knows everything about you, and he knows what's going to happen, he's still searching after that relationship with you. Every day. He's a close God who loves us. He knows all, but in knowing all, he wants to know about, and he wants to know in the moment, and he wants to know us. Um, and then he says, um, he says, you know when I, stand up, uh, when, I, when I sit down, when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away, you observe my travels and my arrest, you are aware of all my ways. And then, this, and then verse four, before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. Before a word is on my tongue, he knows all about it. That, that tells us something very important. That God's standard for us of holiness is not what we say. It's what's in our heart and in our mind before it ever comes out of our mouth. He knew it before we were going to say it. And so we know that that standard of holiness is not in just what I do or what I say, but what I think 
and what I believe. My standard of holiness starts with what I let take over in here because what I let take over in here informs what, what is produced here and that's where everything comes from. His standard of holiness is not just what is produced but where it's coming from as well. He sees our inward parts. He knows us from before the foundations of the world. And then in verses 7 through 12, so we know God is all-knowing, and now we know in verse 7 through 12, he describes how God is all-present, or all places. He is omnipresent. God is all-present. He is everywhere at once. I like to get into it with our students, the idea that um, in, with Einstein's theory of relativity that space and time are the same thing. He calls it the space-time continuum because when we, we study time, it's just the study of objects moving through space. So therefore, space and time are, are related. If that means God is present in all places, if that, theory, that scientific theory holds true, then God is present in all times as well. That's why he exists outside of time. I think the theory of relativity proves God. That's why I've always thought that science and stuff like that is cool. Um, it, the theory of relativity proves, proves the nature of God because if he, he is all places, then he is in all times. That's why he exists outside of time because it, it's nothing to him. Um, that was your nerd moment for the morning. Uh, he's all present. Verse 7 through 12 says, where can I go to escape your peer, uh, spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He uses that word Sheol. And in King James, it may say hell. In other, in other translations, it may say the grave, but it was the proper name for the final resting place, for the grave, for the entrance to whatever your afterlife was, depending on your, on your religious beliefs. But in culture, it was, in their culture, it was the grave. That word is important because we come back around to it here in a minute because he uses very poetic language, and it's, it's, it's interesting where he, he ties back to it here in a moment. Uh, not just everywhere, but everywhere as well. And then he says... He says if I, in verse 11, if I say surely darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. In verse 12 he says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day, darkness and light are alike to you. Even darkness is not dark to you. Because if he knows all and he sees all, darkness doesn't matter. So the things we try to hide in secret, the, the things that we try to, try to keep out of the light, God knows. And it's not just that he sees, it's that he knew before time, before anyway, but there is no darkness. But flip that the other direction, and that means that any darkness you and I walk through, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. As we came out of Psalm 23 from last week, any darkness we walk through is not dark to God. He sees. And so that is what we, 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 use, the, we use the phrase a lot, that faith is taking a step in darkness, trusting that the next step will be there. That's where we get our faith from, is the fact that darkness means nothing to God. He can see what's next even when we can't. He can see what's coming when we don't. He knew it ahead of time. Darkness means nothing to him. So for us, darkness, darkness should mean nothing compared to the one who, who can see straight through it. We trust in him, and we take a step into darkness and into whatever's next, knowing that he has us. I don't trust what's in the darkness, and I don't trust my own eyes, but I trust God. That's where we need to find ourselves, in a place where we trust him more than any other circumstance. We saw it with Peter. He was looking at Jesus, and he had his focus completely on Jesus when he stepped out of that boat. But as soon as he started to look at the wind and the waves, he sunk like a rock. 
Funny that he was named Peter and ended up sinking like a rock. Um, so, we know God is all-knowing. We know God is all-present. And in verses 13 through 18, we find God is all-involved. He says, for it was you who created my inward parts. And if you look up the language of how he wrote this, inward parts literally translates to the word kidneys, which I thought was strange, but he took artistic license there. It was actually, they believed certain organs were the seat of certain emotions. So the kidneys were the seat of affection and, and that, that sort of emotion. So, but he says, you created, uh, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And womb there is a different word in Hebrew than he would have normally used. It's beten, which means of depth of Sheol. It, it ties back to that, to that word he chose to use for grave, and it's talking about the resting place. And so he's comparing, when he, when he talks about it, if I make my bed in Sheol, his final resting place, and then he uses this word for womb, the first resting place. Your first and final resting place. It was, it's, it's, there's, there's not a whole lot of, there's not like some great revelatory life truth you can pull from that, but that's how their language worked, and I thought that was cool. That he, he would use, because he is writing a song here, that he uses this imagery of the, of the very last race, resting place and the very first, and God knew both. God was in both, God created both, and God was there for both. And, and, and for God, it was in the same moment, because time doesn't mean anything to him. Um, and then he comes to this verse that you, you and I could quote all day long. We've heard it, we've heard it so many times. I'll, I'll start in verse 13. It's for you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. This section, obviously, is why I, I, I chose Psalm 139 this morning. I knew I was making the announcement about the baby, and, and I just kind of got there with this. And I think about that little one and all the other little ones we've got coming. And I think of this verse. I have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. And right there, I want to stop and put another plug in for supporting Taylor and what she's going to go do. Yes. There are babies in countries where they don't have the medical technology to even see the kid like we get to see. And it's unsafe. And if she can be of help and she can be of service, and if you can help her do that, please do. <clears throat> Fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully, we use the word that we fear God. And we know that it doesn't mean we're afraid of him as, as someone who stands over us ready to, to, to bring down judgment and harshness. Though he could if that's what justice required. But we say fearfully, we, we know that fear means reverence. We reverentially fear God. We, we have that reverence, re reverential fear. That's a hard word. Fearfully made to revere him because we're made in his image. There's a tie back to the idea that we're made in the image of God, and so we are fearfully made. We're made to revere the image of God because we're made in it. it it's, it's part of our nature to revere him, to, to look up to him, to love him as, as little versions of him made in his image. That's part of, that was part of our original nature, and that is one thing that sin nature tries to push away the idea that we're made in God's image, and so it is natural for us to revere God in it. That's one of those things that gets, that gets pushed down by sin over time, and we, that's how we lose our way. We are fearfully made. We are wonderfully made. And wonderfully, in, in that language, it, it translates to be distinct and set apart like God is. 
God is distinct and set apart, and we use a word for it. It's called holiness. That's what holiness means, to be distinct and set apart. God is holy. And that's why in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, he says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Because we're made in his image. So we were made to revere him because we're made in his image, and we are made to be holy because he's holy. Set apart. It doesn't mean better than anyone. It doesn't mean standing up and casting a finger down at somebody. It means we're, we've got our feet planted on him like we were talking about before, and we're reaching out to pull somebody up with us. You can't pull somebody up and help them unless you've got a solid place to stand first. And I don't know if you've seen the news lately, but God is the only sure and solid place to stand anymore. He's it. Everything's going every which way. There's no political party, there's no, there's no politician, there's no philosophy, there's no weird religion based out in Clearwater, Florida that can possibly be your place to stand. There's no relationship, there's no peace of mind, there's no worldly idea, there's no, certainly no social media platform that you can base your everything on and it will hold up. And it's, it's different with God. And it's not that he calls himself a solid place to stand, but it's, it's so much more than that. It, that's where it starts, because if we stand in that solid place and begin telling other people about the solid place, the solid place rises and we pull people up with us. He's so much more than a place to hide, but that is one aspect of him. That's what we find all through Psalms and all through Scripture, that, that he is our rock and our hiding place, the, our shelter in the time of storm. But so much more than that. We can't describe his nature well enough. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, God is all-knowing. God is all-present. God is all-involved. And because of all this, and because nothing is hidden from him in verses 19 through 22, David gets all-honest. And this is where we can take a lesson. Let's read 19 through 22 again. They are not the most pleasant verses in all the Bible. Certainly they, they tend to stick out of this, of this chapter. But he said, after talking about all of that and, his, and the nature of who God is and where God goes with him and, and, and what God is to him, he says in verse 19, God, if only you would kill the wicked. And then he talks to them, you bloodthirsty men, stay away from me. And he goes back to speaking to God, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you. I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. David here, through the nature of who God is and the fact that he knows everything already anyway and he knows his sitting, his, his sitting down and his getting up and his going and his, and his coming and when he takes his rest and there's nothing hidden from him for he made every part including when he talks about making my inward parts which were the seat of my affection and emotion and where the thoughts of my inner heart come from God knows all of that anyway so David says if you know all that I can just be honest with you this is how I feel and then he tells God, search me, God, verse 23, and know my heart, test me and know my concerns, see if there's any offensive way of me, lead me in the everlasting way. He has the freedom to be honest with God about how he feels. Is it right? Maybe not. That's for God to decide. But he's honest about it. Some of us aren't honest with ourselves about how we truly feel about things, let alone honest with God in our prayer time. You have the freedom before God who knows everything to go into your prayer time and be wrong. 
as long as you're taking, to, taking your, your thoughts and your feelings, as long as they're honest, even if they're wrong, as long as you're taking them to him in an effort to do like David did and said, search these, these feelings and these thoughts and tell me where I've messed up. Tell me where I've erred and strayed away from your word so that I can change it. We need to be honest about how we feel about things. I tried for a long time when I first became a youth pastor to be some spiritual superhero and I learned very quickly that what our students and what any Christian who follows another Christian needs is not someone who looks like they've got it all together and they're spiritually okay and everything's going great. They need somebody who's honest in their failures. They need someone who, who can show what it looks like to reach out to God and get back up again after we fall because that's what life really is. Repeatedly calling upon him to, to be our our stepping stone, our, our solid rock again and again and again. Because we're not perfect. He called us sheep in Psalm 23. We're dumb. We're going to run off. We're going to run back to the same things that we thought were going to make us happy or make us fulfilled or, or whatever it is. And we're going to call back out to him. So David gets honest. And, and that opportunity to be honest with God is freeing. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall. There's freedom in the honesty we can have with God. Freedom like we've never experienced before. Someone we could be truly, truly honest with. There are a lot of people today, and, and I understand for many, many, many reasons. We don't express what we really feel. We don't tell anyone what we really think. We don't act on the desires of our hearts that God has placed there because of our fears and, and our thoughts. And we know that some of those thoughts and fears may not be coming from the right place. They may not be right. But we hold on to them because we're just afraid to fail. I've been, I've been student pastor here for coming on 11 years now. Those of you that have been here for any length of that time know that I'm not afraid to fail at something. We have had some doozies of lock-ins, involved ambulance calls and all kinds of stuff. I've had students walk away from what they believe, act completely counter to what they know the truth says. I have messed up in how I've dealt with that. I have messed up in how I have counseled. I have failed as a husband. I'm sure at some point I will fail as a father in all the funny ways, but in some of the not-so-great ways, too. The freedom to come to God with those failures, though, and say, here they are. Show me what I did wrong and show me where I go next. If we don't have the freedom to do that, then he's just some distant being who just knows us but doesn't search for us. And the last one. This is the last point as Hannah comes to get ready. Um... Out of those last two verses we already read, I'll read them again, verses 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. The last thing. God is all-knowing. God is all-present. God is all-involved. So David and we can be all-honest. And the last thing, we can trade in all of us for all of him. He comes to him with everything. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, test me, know me, and then lead me.
out of whatever it is that I'm not supposed to be a part of, out of whatever harmful thought I'm taking captive after whatever uh, bad decision I'm about to make next. We can trade in all of that, and he gives us all of him in return. You can lay it all down at the altar. You can lay it down at the foot of the cross and walk away from it, and you get all of him in return. That's the best deal anyone's ever offered. You can take it from me. I'm a car salesman. That's a good deal. (laughs) I've never offered that good a deal before. God says, bring me all your doubt. Bring me all your fear. Bring me all your pain and all your, your, your tiredness and your weariness, and you can trade it all in for what I have for you. Grace and mercy and love and rest. Who couldn't use some of that right now? Trade comfort for sanctification. Trade secrets for freedom. Trade darkness for light. Trade passivity for reverence. Trade conformity for holiness. Trade your way for the way everlasting. The Bible says our way leads to one place, but his way leads to life and life eternal. And it's not just for your sake. And it's not just for my sake that I would try to seek out God in this way and trade in everything for him, but it's for the sake of the next person who would ask me for an answer for the hope that is in me, as First Peter says, that I'm ready to give an answer. Why, have you tr- why, do, you, why do you fail but seem to have a good, joyous outlook on life? Because even though I fail, he's strong and he stands tall and he'll pull me up with him. Let me introduce you to him. You don't have to be the most eloquent speaker. You don't have to string together beautiful words to just tell someone, I mess up, but Jesus still loves me and he loves you too. It's that simple. Bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we get ready to to, to head an invitation. What are you holding on to? What way in your heart and your mind that isn't leading to him are you hanging on to for dear life? We've all got something. You know what it is. I know what it is for me. You, you know what you've got going on. Something that keeps leading you in a direction that isn't him that you keep hanging on to. Maybe you've hung on to it for years. Maybe it's a recent development. The real question is, why would you hang on to it for one more day if you knew it wasn't leading you closer to God. The one who did not passively seek us, but actively seeked us. He is seeking us now. He is searching for his people, and he is searching his people to see how we are, because he loves us. He brings us freedom. He turns darkness into light. He sets our feet upon a rock so that we can be set apart and holy and bring others with us. And what else could we go chasing after except for him? Don't put your hope and faith in anything but him. You won't find it in social media, in politics. The next election is not going to sanctify anyone. But the word of the Lord that lasts forever can sanctify our heart, can lead us closer to him, can turn us to the way everlasting can show us the truth that no matter who occupies the White House, God still sits on the throne. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. That picture I showed at the beginning, all of us were there at some point, even Jesus. 
that picture that David paints of the grave, all of us end up there, even Jesus. He didn't stay. And though our bodies might, our souls can exit Sheol and live in glory forever and ever. And the one who made that possible for some of us has been playing second fiddle to a lot of worldly things. And when we really think about it, it is insane to choose anything but him. What have you been choosing lately that isn't him? What path or way in your heart and mind has been leading you in a different direction that is not him? Whatever it may be. And the question this morning, would you lay it down? Would you leave it behind and go chasing after him with everything you have? Because this is what you were made for. This is what you were born for. This is why he created your inward parts and knew you from the womb. He has a purpose for you. Are you chasing after it with everything you have? Come do business this morning. Come down and pray. There will be people at the front who will pray with you or in the back if you need to step out and talk. But don't go one more day carrying with you whatever habit or whatever, whatever thing it is you think you need to be okay that you've traded in on the thing that leads to Jesus. Lay it down this morning. Don't carry it with you one more day. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll stand. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for this time we've had in your word. God, I pray that you would just open our hearts. Give us boldness to step forward in this time of invitation and just lay down whatever it is that isn't leading us to you and to walk away from it and then to find somebody who we trust and have them pray for us as well because of it. Help us to find accountability in it as well. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this fearful and wonderful existence you've given us. And let us never take for granted the gift of life that you've given, that we get to live it for you. Be with us this morning now in this time of invitation. Give us boldness to, to step forward and, and do some business with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 1030 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.